Now, Vic, I did take note of the fact that you prayed that I studied. I'll have you know I did study some, sir. Um, I want to take a little different look at miracles tonight. And from the perspective that miracles are really a proof mechanism. And we probably may not have thought about that that way in the past. But we've probably got a little problem with this in that have you heard the expression, I, you can't see the forest for the trees? What, what does that mean to you, Sharon? Exactly, exactly. You don't really see the beauty of the entire forest because you're there fixated kind of on what's immediately before you. And that's what we've been largely like in the, in churches because we read with wonderment the miracles that we see and don't stop and back up a little bit and say, what was really underlying all of this? And that's what we're going to talk about in some more detail. Let me give you a quick example. Is it not coming through? You don't hear it through there? That Does everybody else hear it? I'm sorry, I can't. Is it working now? Don't know what to do. Yeah. Is that working? Okay, we got you covered. Let me give you an example that I read in uh, Wikipedia or somewhere of can't see the forest for the trees. The congressman became so involved in the wording of his bill that he couldn't see the forest for the trees. He did not realize that the bill could not, could never pass. Well, sometimes we become fixated on some things and we don't see the bigger picture that lies beyond. And when we become that familiar with the scripture, that can happen. Let's go back to the historical context now. Uh, what kind of a place did Jesus come from? What was his hometown? Nazareth. Nazareth. What kind of uh, thriving metropolitan area? Okay. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is that what the scripture says? So he comes out of there and uh, he's... Uh, kind of got a strike against him because he's not coming from a uh, prominent family. He's coming from a small town. And yet he starts out with some promise. I want to uh, get somebody now to read Luke 2, 45 to 47. Who's got that? Sir. Okay, uh, where most of us are familiar with this bit of scripture, Jesus was 12 years old. He had gone to another city where they were participating in some Jewish rituals. And uh, I guess Jesus uh, wasn't fully compliant with what his parents would have wanted him to do in that he stayed behind and was not missed for uh, some period of time. And when they went back and found him, Here's this 12-year-old boy who is sitting in the synagogue 
talking with the religious leaders and anybody else there. Now, does that strike you as a little bit unusual for a 12-year-old boy to be doing something like that? Wally? You're supposed to say more than yes, sir. Okay. The people were kind of astonished at Jesus and the way he was talking to the Jewish leaders and asking them questions and listening to what they had to say. And you think about a 12-year-old boy, how much acumen would a 12-year-old boy usually have? I know I sure didn't have much when I was 12 years old. But then Jesus, needless to say, was an extraordinary individual. Now, excellent. That's exactly what we're getting at. Now, if I was one of the Jewish leaders sitting there with Jesus asking me questions and such, what would I be thinking? Wow. Wow. Exactly. Jeez, uh, where is this young man from? Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of there. And I've been one of the religious leaders for many years now. And this young man is able to ask me intelligent questions. How about the people in general? What would they have thought of Jesus? For a precocious young man? A lot would have blown him off because he's so young. But instead, people were impressed with him because of the acumen that he showed. So he showed extraordinary promise and knowledge and wisdom, whatever all, in what he was doing. Would, uh, would the people have been impressed? Of course they would have. And it went on from there. Now let's go back to... Uh, but let me, let me ask you this. If at that point Jesus would have said, Oh, I just kind of wanted you all to know, I am the Son of God, by the way. So uh, you all need all to be suitably impressed. What would the people have probably said at that point? He would have lost his credibility because he's such a, a fine young man. But as far as this claim, well, I'm the Son of God. The Son of God was born in Nazareth and uh you're not coming in power as we want you to and, and throw out these occupying Romans? Sir. 
Okay, good point. And that's exactly where we're, we're getting to next because Jesus had to have some form of proof that he was something more than just a very wise and intelligent young man. Let's go to uh, Matthew 4.17. Who's got that? Okay, so this is the point, a kind of a line of demarcation here. Jesus has already shown himself to be a well-qualified, knowledgeable young man, and in the way he was able to interact with the Jewish leaders, and we're coming to, if you will, a line of demarcation where he is going to really start his own teaching and preaching and uh, indeed tell the people exactly about what is fixing to happen in the uh, Jewish nation. Speaking to a very mixed group, he had the Jewish leaders, he had ordinary people with an interest in the, uh, in the Messiah, and the merely curious. A lot of folks were listening at this point, but still nothing to really say he is anything more than a young man who is very intelligent, very gifted, if you will. And, but that is going to change very quickly. Hadn't said anything what? Yeah, he hadn't said anything that any of them found offensive. Had not challenged their lifestyle. Uh, I do remember one passage that Jesus says later where he says, Ye brood of vipers. He could have used a little PR advice maybe on that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what the Jew, Jewish leaders needed, but they did not take well to that. Uh, Matthew four twenty three to twenty five. Who's got that place? Yes, yes, ma'am. Okay, excellent, thank you. So we come to this point here, and we see that Jesus has now started performing miracles. They don't use that term here, but we all recognize these acts as miracles that Jesus Jesus performed. What effect would these have had on people? Somebody, Fred, did you want to answer that for me? Uh, what effect would it have had on people when uh, Jesus performed these miracles? They would be amazed. They would flock to him. And has he suddenly, uh, there's a very clear line of demarcation. Back here, he was a, an intelligent, promising young man. All of a sudden, who is this person? Who can actually perform these miracles? You think about it, try to 
put yourself back there in that period of time, and if you can, think, well, Jesus, they brought him this uh, person who was seriously ill, and it looked like they were about to die, and he just spoke a few words and made reference to his Father in heaven, and the person was healed. Would we be astonished? And we're so close to that, being students of the Scripture, that we have trouble kind of seeing what a a marvelous and an amazing act it was for those people to be able to actually witness that. Let's let's back up just a little bit and and transition to the, uh, the reasons for the miracles. Somebody, again, revisit with me. Why did Jesus need to perform these miracles. I'll make sure we're clear on that. He wanted to prove who he was. Okay, who was he? Okay, so this provided the proof that he was able to do extraordinary things beyond being a very promising and indeed precocious young man. People can see he can do things that nobody else can do. Uh, I wanted to go to one more scripture right now. Matthew 7, 28 to 29. Who has got that? Yes, ma'am. Again, confirmation of the extreme effectiveness as Jesus, as the Son of God, and how He is uh, influencing people to know that He is indeed the Son of God. Let's back up once again for another minute. And somebody tell me, what is a miracle? is contrary to nature? It's a sign of wonder. Not explainable by natural processes. Would that be included in it? Sometimes we don't think about just how to the people at that time, and to us, were we less familiar with it, these miracles were stunning in that Jesus was able to perform these acts and heal, for example, a lame person who hasn't been able to walk right all their life, and all of a sudden they're walking normally. If we were standing there and watching that, say it was Vic, and he was uh, lame all his life, and now he walks like uh, anybody ever does. Yes, ma'am.
Let, let me read the uh, definition that Wikipedia provided. I think it's kind of interesting. A miracle is an event not explainable by natural or scientific laws. Such an, uh, an event may be attributed to a supernatural being, a deity, or religious leader. It can't be explained by natural laws. And some theologians explain it a little further, but let's skip that. So what was, what was the purpose that Jesus performed? He, he performed a lot of miracles, and they provide proof in the historical record of who he was and what he was. Is that important? You betcha. Other, without the miracles that Jesus was performing, what would the people have viewed him as? Kind of self-delusional? declaring. De- if he had just claimed to be God, for example, the Son of God, without the miracles, uh, most people probably would not have believed on him like they did. And that kind of gets to the point of kind of this whole session this evening. When Jesus performed these miracles, they were stunning. They were astonishing. And people looking on had to know this person right here has divine qualities and is able to do things that cannot be done otherwise. Um, one thing, one kind of sub-point I want to make here that I... It's something I've always believed, and I sometimes we don't think about it much. We refer to Jesus Christ a lot. And Jesus Christ, we say it kind of like it's a first and a last name, but it's really not. Jesus, it's more properly said, Jesus the Christ, and the Christ actually means the anointed one or the Messiah. And it makes a lot more sense if you say Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One, and we say Jesus the Christ as a shorthand way to do it. But you think about that for a minute, and it kind of helps explain why the Scripture is worded like that a lot of times. And so I want to digress just a minute here. We're going to run out of time. In, in my professional working career, I was a certified public accountant, and I did a lot of... Uh, examination work, audits, uh, fraud examinations, things like that. And when I was uh, doing that kind of work, there were certain steps that we would take to, uh, us to examine and assess the truthfulness and validity of something. I'm going to pick on Rex here for just a minute, and I'm going to say that uh, Rex has uh, presented the church with a bill for $10,000, and he says, uh, yeah, Carr, I need to get you to pay this because Vic asked me if I would buy some software to help the church uh, learn music better. Uh, well, okay, I'll have, to, I'll have to ask Vic about that. And Vic, being fairly astute guy with uh, our funds, he says, you know, Carr, uh, you know, I asked him to, to kind of develop some stuff like that, but... Uh, I really don't know what to make of this $10,000 bill. Could you do an audit or an examination of it? And so I, I start out, and I want to get both uh, oral evidence, and I want to get documentary evidence. And so I probably start out with Vic, and I say, Now, Vic, what did you send? How did you notify Rex that you wanted 
him to uh, take, uh, take on this work. And he, he'd probably say, well, I sent him an email and uh, I asked him, you know, to do this. Uh, okay, I understand. And I go to Rex and I say, uh, well, what did you have that led you to spend this money, Rex? And he said, well, uh, I got this email from uh, Vic. And I said, okay, let me see that. And so I examined that, and I say, okay, I understand that. Now, where did you buy this software? And he says, well, uh, I, uh, I got that from Smith Corporation. Okay, could I, could I take a look at the invoice on that, please? He says, well, I, I don't have that right now. Well, I understand. Could you show me uh, in your checkbook with a canceled check or maybe a credit card receipt where you paid for it? And uh, he'd say, well, yeah, I, I don't have that available to you right now, but, yeah, I, I've, I've done that, and I think it's going to be really good to uh, have that done. Well, as, a, as an auditor, how convincing has Rex been to me? Can't produce any documents. He can't produce any uh, credit card receipts. All he's got is this vague email from uh, from Vic saying, uh, go out and do this work to get us ready to sing better. As an auditor, I would be disappointed that there is no more proof underlying a supposed expenditure like that. Now let's convert that to the way that we are looking at Jesus and the miracles that he performed. This is where it gets really important. Jesus performed, excuse me, numerous miracles, and we're going to look at a couple of them in just more in just a minute. But he performed numerous miracles, and the historical record that we call the Bible is replete with the stories of these miracles. And so we can rely upon that historical record in believing that Jesus wasn't just a precocious young man and a preacher. He was indeed the Son of God and brought the power of God to earth in order to be able to perform these miracles. It's a... Well, there are some people that do not believe the Bible. Um, obviously, I do, and I think a majority of opinion probably does. Probably that a lot of people just don't want to believe it because reasons of their own. But to me, the Bible is the historical record. In court proceedings and, and evidentiary matters, you look at what is in the written record. Well, the written record in this case is the Scripture, and it is replete with the uh, background as to all of these miracles and indeed the development of Christ, Jesus Christ, and his life as he developed from being a knowledgeable young man to being indeed the preacher who was the Son of God and was doing astonishing things. Now,
Sharon making the point that some people, uh, kind of like a two-year-old, uh, do it my way. And many of us, I, this is where I kind of go with some of that stuff, Scotty. People think we become wise in our own precepts, and we think we are wiser than God. How foolish can we be? Well, let's go on now to... Uh, to the historical record, who has got Isaiah 35.5? This goes back to the Bible as an historical document where the it all ties together. Who, who do I give that to? This goes clear into the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, where it is predicted, again, talking about the historical record that we have in the Scripture where it was predicted back then, and indeed we see in the historical record in the Gospels where it comes to fulfillment, and accordingly the historical record all ties together in that, in that way. I think I want to go through one more example here of... Uh, I'm going to skip one there. I want to go here, and I'm just going to read this one myself. Try to think if you were a Jewish person at this period of time, and you were observing these events as they occurred, and you didn't have all this knowledge that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And he may, he's made these claims, but... You're not really sure as a Jew looking on just how bona fide it is. And then Jesus does this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So when Jesus came, he found he had already been in the tomb four days. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe me, believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by. I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died, who had died, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. If you were standing there observing to this, what would you be thinking about that time? Scotty? <laughs> you would have fallen over dead. <laughs> we 
have read some of these stories of miracles so many times that we have kind of lost sight of just how astonishing what Jesus did was. There's a man who is dead, and he has been raised by the dead, raised from the dead. Has this ever happened in the lifetimes of anybody looking on? No. People die, and they stay dead, and they're buried. And yet Jesus is able to say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus does come forth. Now, Scotty's question is, if you were there and saw that, just think of how stunning that would be if you were one of the witnesses to this and saw Lazarus get up out of that tomb after he'd been in there four four days. It wasn't like he was maybe just asleep or something. He's been dead four days. And he gets up and walks out. What, what you're really saying is, am I correct, Sharon? There is great historical evidence to support the validity and historical accuracy of the Scripture. And so... think about it when we confront directly the what happened there the astonishment we would feel as we the people saw Lazarus coming out of that tomb alive after having been dead for four days and this Jesus this this preacher who has gone about teaching and recruiting men to to serve with him Lazarus rose from that grave there is one more miracle I want to mention, and then I want to make some applications to this. The one remaining miracle is maybe even more astonishing than the rest. It also involved a death, and that death was that of Jesus the Christ himself. He was in the grave for three days. The people observed, this is the historical record that, that we have right here, 
the people observed the Roman rulers as they crucified him. They hung him on the tree. They put him in a tomb, and he was there for several days. And then he raised from the dead. Whether he did it himself or whether it was a Godhead, I don't know. It doesn't do any violence. But Jesus was able to die and then come back from the dead. I mean, an astonishing thing when you uh, think what Jesus was capable of. Right, there's a lot of miracles and a lot of things that have been mentioned. I tried to pick the ones which I thought would kind of demonstrate just how astonished we would have been had we been there and able to observe these things. I mean, things that were we standing there, it would have been kind of like Scotty said. Who is this person but what he claims to be, the Word of God, the Son of God? And so... Yes, did somebody back there? Well, let's, Warren. Uh, no, in John uh, chapter 3, verse 2, no, David, David comes to Jesus and says, We know no man who did these miracles except God be with him. The people could see that Jesus was able to do things, we call them miracles, that no one else could do. And they looked at that, and they they could see this man is really the Son of God as he claims to be. And we have the historical record that tells all of us that. Let me jump on forward to something now. Uh, If you're anything like me, you hear about these things. We've heard about them so much, they they don't have quite the impact on on us that they may have had at one time when we consider just the astonishment we would have felt had we actually been there and witnessed this. But bear with me a minute on this and kind of want to try to make a life application to this. And uh, it's, Matt, are you in here? Yes. You over there? Okay. Matt, Vic, Wally, y'all going to check me on this and see if I'm uh, getting off the track in any way here. I read these things and the record is so convincing that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, was the Son of God, that I want to become as Christ-like as I can. I can't perform miracles, but I can try to become as Christ-like as I can. Now, there's some things that we're all pretty good at. Um, I don't have any other gods before me. Uh, I haven't made any idols. Uh, I don't think that that Scotty's been running around taking the name of the Lord in vain. I don't think you're given to that. Uh, I suspect that Vic honors his mother and father. I think Fred has uh, not been guilty of murder, and I'm just going through the Ten Commandments here. We do these things fairly well. If I can get this paper apart here. Uh, I don't think we have anybody running around committing adultery. All of us uh, pretty well avoid that. I don't think we've got any thieves in here. Uh, Nobody bearing false witness against their neighbor. Now, on the coveting thing, uh, Dean Sitton is not here, but I may be getting a 
little close to coveting that motorcycle that he's got. That Harley Dave, oh, that thing is nice. Have you seen that? Oh, that's a beautiful motorcycle. But Dean's not here, so I can't, can't make that example. But if he would just give that to me, then, it would, then I wouldn't have to be coveting it, would I? Um, but what the point is that I want to make here, we're pretty good at the things that we don't do because we are Christian people. But what do we do that would set us apart from other people? Let me give some examples here. Um, have I helped a widow? Each of you ask yourself, what have I done to help a widow in the last month, the last year, last ten years? Has anybody done anything like that? I'm asking myself, too. It's not just y'all. What have I done to help an orphan? Well, we help the uh, children's home at uh, Fairhaven. And I'm, uh, I'm even aware of one sister here we have here who has volunteered at their thrift store, giving her time to, uh, to sell merchandise to uh, gather funds for Fairhaven. And uh, we have others that donate things that go there to, again, to generate funds. Have I been kind and gentle and loving in all my interactions with those of the faith and those not of our faith? Everybody ask yourselves, is that the way we've related to people? Autumn? pretty good way to say it. Say that again as loud as you can. Are you good at being good or just good at not being bad? It's a pretty good way to look at it. And a lot of times we thought of the people that, well, we don't do anything bad. Okay, we kind of got a little bit of a figure that out. But what do we, are we about doing good? We're about to run out of time here, and I want to give one more example. I had a dear friend in Denver who was riding through a service station there one day and saw a young couple on a Honda Goldwing motorcycle, broken down. Had guy had the thing about halfway torn apart trying to fix it. He could see the young lady was about to break down into tears, and the young man looked like uh, he didn't know what to do, but he couldn't cry himself. And so it was obvious he wasn't going to get it fixed. And so he went and he said, I have got a trailer at home. What if I will go home and I will get that trailer, and I will bring that back here. We will load your motorcycle up, and you come to our home, and you can stay there overnight with us. And then in the morning, uh, we will take your motorcycle down to a Honda dealership where they can fix it for you. Um, Was that a little bit like uh, the Good Samaritan? Was there some risk in that for my friend? Uh, They could have been axe murderers for all we know. But there may have been a safer way to do it. You know, maybe he should have taken them to a motel or something. But they needed help. And if we're going to make a Christian response, what are we going to do? And 
I think that's a, an example of the way in which we can. Another quick example that I want to make for you, uh, Sister in Christ there in Denver was behind somebody in the uh, pharmacy line at Kaiser checking out, and the uh, woman's bill was like $60. And it turned out she only had $55, and she was imploring the uh, pharmacist clerk well, could you just take a few pills out of each bottle and, you know, get it down to the money that I've got? And, uh, of course, they didn't want to do that. They had to fill the prescription as it was written. And uh, this sister in Christ stepped up behind the lady and says, here is $5. You just take this and pay your bill and move on. Pretty dinky deal. But is that the kind of stuff that we should be doing as Christian people? I also know a man who who uh, bought a set of tires for some friends who were driving on ball tires, and it was quite dangerous for them, and uh, he just went there with them and bought that set of tires. And it wasn't people that he was real close to, but he just uh, wanted to help them out. And I, did, Have we had the first bell? I thought we did. I want to kind of conclude this with this question, and it's something that I wish we could all really think about. What do I do, if anything, that distinguishes me from someone who does not claim to be a Christian? Am I the salt of the earth and a light for all to see the glory of Jesus the Christ? If not... Is the overwhelming proof by miracles not sufficient? What would be sufficient? We read the historical record of Jesus the Christ doing things that were astonishing. And we've become so familiar with it, we've kind of lost sight of just how astonishing it is. Thank you all so much. Appreciate it.